Today is all about C.S. Lewis's view on the sacraments as he presents in Mere Christianity. We're going to talk about what they are, why we need them, and a little bit about how they work. My name is Stephen Cram, and this is My Apologies. An apology doesn't just mean saying that you're sorry. It can also mean giving a reason for something that you believe. On this channel, we examine apologies for living a life of faith and virtue. And if I say something that offends you, my apologies. We're in the middle of our Mere Christianity series, and we're looking this week at Book 2, Chapter 5. And it's going to be a quick episode. I'm going to try to get it in in under 10 minutes. We'll see how I do at this. But it's just going to be a quick episode talking about the little bit that he says on the sacraments. And what we're coming off of in chapter four is C.S. Lewis's explanation of the atonement. He talks a lot about that, and we've covered that in the previous episode. So coming off of this discussion on the atonement, we're going to look at how practically that applies to our lives as Christians. Thus, the chapter is called The Practical Conclusion. And he gets into more than just that uh, more than just the sacraments in this chapter, but for today, we're going to hit on this and we'll carry on in a f- future episode. So to start off our discussion, we're going to look actually at the Bible first in John 3, and this is where Jesus presents to Nicodemus, one of the Jewish leaders at the time, the idea of being born again. And you'll see that rightly Nicodemus finds this idea confusing, but let's read. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus isn't getting this at all. And for us, it might seem a little bit ridiculous. The idea of being born again, especially in an American evangelical context, is probably a phrase that you've heard a lot and you have some idea of what that means. But for Nicodemus, he's never heard this before. This is his first time. He has no idea. You can tell by the fact that he says, is someone supposed to enter again into their mother's womb? And I really like, if you've seen the show The Chosen, I really like his rendition of it in this scene when he's like, my mother has passed away. I I hope you don't mean that I need to be born again in a physical sense. Anyway, Nicodemus is rightly confused and he doesn't understand what Jesus is trying to say. And that's what we'll get into in a minute. But the way C.S. Lewis presents the same kind of idea that Jesus does of saying you need to be born again, C.S. Lewis puts it in kind of the words of his time. He says, People often ask when the next step in evolution, the step to something beyond man, will happen. But on the Christian view, it has happened already. In Christ, a new kind of man appeared, and the new kind of life which began in him is to be put in us. And so just like Jesus relates this new life to new birth, which is something that Nicodemus could understand, the idea of a first birth, well, in C.S. Lewis's context, the idea of evolution is much more part of the everyday parlance at the time. And so he puts it in terms of evolution, people wondering, what's going to be the next stage of human evolution? Are we going to grow bigger heads because our brains get bigger? Are we going to become taller, faster, stronger? Of course, naturally, we're becoming taller over time due to good nutrition, but that's not really evolution. Like what's the next stage of human evolution where we get to the point where we're no longer mere humans like we are now and we're something better than humans? Well, Lewis answers that question and says the next stage of human evolution, the next life that we look for has already been given to us in Christ. It's the Christian life. So the obvious question off of this is if that's the next stage in human evolution, if that's the new life we're supposed to achieve, how do we achieve that? How do we get that new life? If I'm already born, do I have hope of reaching this next stage of evolution during my lifetime? Lewis says, Please remember how we acquired the old, ordinary kind of life. 
we derived it from others, from our father and mother and all our ancestors without our consent, and by a very curious process involving pleasure, pain, and danger, a process you would never have guessed. In my own experience, I just had a son, my firstborn son, actually, and the process is wild, something that nothing in this world could prepare you for. And if you're a small child trying to ask your parents, where do babies come from? The actual answer to that question is, like he says, not something that you probably would have ever guessed. Maybe you've heard the story of the storks, and that seems more real than the actual story of how babies are made. It's a very strange and obscure process. So if the first life that we acquired is something you never would have guessed, would the second life be something similar? The way that we acquire this new life is what Lewis calls by the conductors. He calls them conductors of a new kind of life. And if you've ever experimented with electricity in maybe a science class or hooked up wiring in your house, you know that generally you have a power source and then you have the light, the light bulb or whatever you're trying to power. And in order to connect these two things, in order to get the power from the source to the light, you need a wire that conducts the electricity, that conducts the power. And so that's the idea that Lewis is presenting when he said these are conductors of this new kind of life. For me to acquire this Christ life, this life from an outside power source of Jesus Christ, I need something that will conduct it to me and change me because I've received the power through this conductor. Two of these are what we would call sacraments, which is some kind of religious ceremony or ritual regarded as imparting divine grace to us. Again, conducting divine grace to us. So two are going to be sacraments, and the other, we'll, we'll see what that's going to be. So what are these three things that spread the Christ life to us? The three that C.S. Lewis lists, he says, baptism, belief, and that mysterious action which different Christians call by different names, Holy Communion, the Mass, the Lord's Supper. The three conductors that Lewis points out that conduct Christ's life to us are baptism, the initial initiation rite into Christianity, the Lord's Supper, a continual participation in that Christ life, and then belief, which is the internal change, our agreement with this whole structure that we're starting to participate in. And really, this one's not a sacrament, but the other two kind of are powered by belief and by faith. Because for one, if you don't believe the stuff, you're not going to participate in it. And two, if you participate in it without belief, arguably it's not going to have any kind of effect on you because there's no faith in it. And faith is what powers the Christian life. But those are the three. Baptism, what I'm going to say is the Lord's Supper for the sake of brevity and belief. And Lewis clarifies, knowing that not everyone is going to agree on these three specifically, he says, my Methodist friend would like me to say more about belief and less in proportion about the other two, but I'm not going into that. Anyone who professes to teach you the Christian doctrine will, in fact, tell you to use all three, and that is enough for our present purpose. So he clarifies, knowing that there would be arguments, but if you look across all denominations, everyone's going to say you need faith. Everyone's going to say you need to be baptized. Everyone's going to say you need to take the Lord's Supper. These are three across the board agreed upon that are conduits for Jesus's life to enter into us. And in fact, if you're coming from a Catholic or Orthodox background, I suspect you probably have the idea of seven sacraments instead of just these two. Well, that's totally fine. But historically, the lists have varied in number. All kinds of saints throughout history have said different numbers 
less than seven, greater than seven in some cases. It wasn't until around the 1200s that this list of seven was kind of set in stone and became the standard. So you can have different opinions on this as far as Protestantism goes. But generally, across all the Protestant denominations, you're just going to get these two. And that's largely because these are the two that are explicitly defined by Christ. The others that the Catholic Orthodox faith would believe in are implicitly perhaps described by Christ in the same sense as like Jesus talked about marriage, but he doesn't command marriage or give any kind of sacramental rules around marriage. But the Lord's Supper and baptism, he does. And so that's what Protestants take. Finally, if these are the conductors of new life, why are they the conductors? Why do we need to eat bread and wine each week in order to conduct this new life to us? Why can't we just believe? Or why wouldn't we go to an Old Testament way of conducting life to us in which we kill an animal sacrificially or something like that in order to get conducted this new life to us? Well, Lewis admits that it's not exactly a logical answer, and he again compares it with physical birth. He says, I cannot myself see why these things should be the conductors of the new kind of life. But then, if one did happen to know, I should never have seen any connection between a particular physical pleasure and the appearance of a new human being into the world. Again, talking about the first birth. We have to take reality as it comes to us. There is no good jabbering about what it ought to be like or what it should have been expected to be like. So to Lewis, asking, why are these things the conductors of new life? is kind of like asking, why did God make the sexual union the thing that produced babies? It's really, it's something that you can ponder and that you can talk about, but there's not really a good answer. It's, it kind of comes down to this is what God chose to do. And he says, in fact, that this is something that he just takes on the authority of Jesus Christ. Essentially, he can't give you a logical reason for why these things have been chosen by God to give us the Christ life. But this is what Jesus set up. He trusts in Jesus, and that's good enough for him. And it's been good enough for the church for 2,000 years. He says, in other words, I believe it on his authority. Do not be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority only means believing them because you have been told them by someone you think is trustworthy. 99% of the things you believe are believed on authority. I believe there is such a place as New York. I have not seen it myself. I could not prove by abstract reasoning that there must be such a place, but I believe it because reliable people have told me so. And I love the word trustworthy here because he really, it emphasizes that you're not just believing anyone who tells you anything, but rather he finds Jesus trustworthy. He finds the story compelling. He thinks that Jesus Christ is a trustworthy person. And therefore, if he's going to base his, base his faith on Jesus Christ, he's going to base his actions on Jesus Christ too and trust that these conduits to the new life are what Jesus said they are. He's willing to trust Jesus' authority in the matter. And I think we should too. That's all we have for today. Hopefully I made it in the allotted amount of time. I'll find out after I end this recording. But let me know in the comments what you think about the sacraments. I'd be interested to hear what you'd say. If you like this whole analogy of the conduits of the Christ life to us, uh, I would love to hear it. Anyway, until next time, my name is Stephen Cram, and this has been My Apologies. Thank you.